everyone. Welcome back to Mars on Life. I'm Ryan Mancini. Joined with me as always. Sebastian Shug. Um, this time, just the two of us. Uh, I'm not yes. hearing any ambient noise, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you had tuned in last week, we had uh, three guests on the show. Sean Thomas, Crystal Dwan, and Mike Beck. Uh, obviously, that episode is available pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, so please tune in. Uh, they all got to witness a bunch of the protests that were going on across Southern California uh, over the last couple of weeks, and all three of them were happy enough to join us and kind of give their their piece on what they saw and kind of how we move forward. And obviously, um, you know, this is something that we still we still can't avoid it. It's something that, and I, I don't mean that in a way that this has been a negative. In fact, I've looked at the last two weeks with probably the most positivity I've had all year. Um, and that's only because this is kind of what I've wanted people to do in moments of outrage quite like this is I want to see people in the streets. I want to see people tell their leaders they're not happy. Um, and I think that that's something that I genuinely hope carries on into November because uh, if if we think we're going to get things accomplished with the guy we got now, think again. I keep um, forgetting that we're in an that we're in an election year. Like I just realized that about like two days ago. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that really went by fast. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. The it was it was really coronavirus that ended. The campaign or at least the mm -hmm. the democratic primary um yeah because where i am in in colorado springs at the moment which is a deeply rooted conservative area uh, conservative area i mean the air force is right here right and that's an increasingly blue state too well you kind of go from the outskirts of denver and you sort of see where people come from in terms of their redness um you know mm -hmm. you know you can go from a Ralph's to a CVS to a dispensary and you know there's still open carry laws right okay. the thing is when you live in somewhere like Colorado Springs or or whatnot you have to go all the way up to uh, Manitou or somewhere close which is uh, considerably more blue to <laughs> to really indulge um, but you want to talk about coronavirus here that's basically non-existent or at least people think mm -hmm. it isn't, because when you go into Target, people aren't even wearing their masks. <sighs> yeah. So, that you know, thankfully, me. thankfully, there's, you know, no symptoms, no anything on my end. Uh, family I'm staying with right now, nothing. It's to tell you the truth, I think Colorado is over its uh, its second wave or so I've heard. But, you know, that's right. that's great. Uh, what's not great is myself having to go back to California, but, you know, cross that bridge when you come to it. Well, that's just it. Right now we're going through our whole, uh, phase three of reopening and everybody's so anxious to finally go back out and do this, that, and the third. And the frustrating thing is, is that there are an increase in cases. Now, obviously, there's a lot of those cases where it just has to do with the fact that a lot of people are getting tested, but at the same time, there's places across the country where they're seeing 
like a 40% increase in COVID cases. And, you know, the sad thing is, is that these protests, you know, that's just it. It, it kind of goes back to something. I mean, I, think I, I mean, you can, I mean, you can just say a point blank. These protests are not aiding in the decrease of coronavirus cases and rightfully so. I mean, there's large crowds gathering. It's a no brainer. Um, yeah. Well, it, it's, it's also sort of, it's the lesser of two evils here where everyone's so anxious to support a cause that they are, you know, obviously putting their own lives at risk medically. Especially if they're not social distancing, because that's... Well, well, of course they're not. I mean, you go on Instagram and it's just a cluster of, you know, activism, which, again, is great. Um, but, again, it comes at a cost. I wouldn't be surprised if the next surge in California is directly parallel to what's going on. Because right. well, Colorado, you don't see much of it. Right. In fact, I haven't seen mm-hmm. I've seen maybe two people off the side of the road of an independent record store uh, <laughs> with a Black Lives Matter sign. And that's it. You know, yeah. so you could definitely say that it's varying from state to state. Yeah. Well, and I think it's, you know, and obviously this is the the analogy that will never die. But, you know, that's just it. The The anxiousness of everybody wanting to reopen, you know, something that I've been uh, talking with my parents about and talking with friends about is that it's almost as though there's people out there who, you know, they didn't participate in the protests, but they also didn't actively, or at least they, they didn't take every warning about coronavirus seriously enough. So, you know, the people that they still go out on walks without a mask in their neighborhoods or they're walking on the sidewalk and somebody's walking in their direction and they don't move out of the way, nor do they keep their distance. And it's like they go home and they see these protests and it basically becomes confirmation bias where they see the protesters and they think, oh, well, if all these people are out protesting, then that must mean coronavirus really wasn't such a big deal after all. And then they go out not wearing a mask and they run the risk of exposing everybody or themselves. And it's kind of just like, you know, because that's just it. That's been my one. You said that four times, Mancini. (laughs) I'm keeping (laughs) count. I really am. And I'm like, my apprehension, I guess, is, is just that, you know, I'm an, you know me, I'm, I went, I've been to protests. I went to a lot of the protests here, uh, near where I live. A lot of them were beautiful. They were outstanding. The the number of people that were out walking on the streets, I have never seen it before in my life, at least in this area. Um, and we even had one hilarious incident. Uh, I think it was last week where allegedly there was going to be a b- close to a thousand people coming into Santa Clarita, and basically our city council freaked out over what a bunch of right-wing scaredy cats thought where they were asking do we need to board up our stores and do we need to show up to the counter protests armed and there was even one uh facebook group that was at they were asking these questions and on top of that uh they were being told by their fellow gun-toting uh concerned citizens to leave all of their maga swag at home because they basically were like, oh, well, it's going to incite the snowflake liberals. And it's like, 
why on earth would you take a gun with you to a peaceful protest that is predominantly like people below the age of 20? Because that was a lot of what I saw. There were a t- there was a ton, a ton of young people walking through the streets, holding up signs, chanting, singing, uh, sharing, you know, carrying water bottles to people. Um, and it's just like to see some of the hate thrown at these at these young people. It it all goes back to the David Bowie line of these children that you spit on. As they try to change their worlds, they're immune to your consultation. They're quite aware of what they're going through. And that's exactly what I saw. And the idea that anybody would be so frazzled as to think, do I need a gun because some 13-year-olds with some pieces of, you know, paper are going to hurt me? I mean, you know, it, it's it's sad, but that's yeah. what happens when you live in an area that was born out of white flight back in the day. So oh, definitely. Um, but on top of that, you know, with the protest has come a lot of beautiful artwork. And it's something that obviously since we, you and I have been in quarantine, we haven't really been able to really, I guess, flesh out the show in regards to talking about art around Southern California, art at museums, art at festivals, street corners, exhibitions, whatever uh, whatever location you can find artwork for the public to see. And right now we're kind of getting an influx of that. Um, and, and I guess, I don't know if you wanted to kind of touch on what's in the this, uh, Smithsonian Magazine article. Yeah, so... This article from the Smithsonian Magazine, uh, entitled How Artists Are Responding to the Killing of George Floyd, um, as I'll personally answer beautifully, but as the article continues, um, essentially murals and portraits are memorializing the 46-year-old black man and calling for societal change have appeared across the world. Um, if your Instagram flood isn't already, well, flooded with um, you know images such as these, this article definitely... Uh, bring bring you back up to speed on what on how important it is. So, mm-hmm. um, throughout modern history, art and protests have gone off and hand in hand, from the incarceration of Japanese Americans, World War II, Vietnam War, and civil rights movement, and the AIDS crisis. Examples of American artists' creative responses to tragedy and injustice abound. So it basically goes into detail about how uh, Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin. Uh, killed George Floyd. And as Smithsonian Secretary Lonnie Bunch said in a statement earlier this week, once again, we bear witness to our country's troubled history of racial violence from Freddie Gray and Eric Gardner to Sandra Bland and Trayvon Martin. And once again, we are trying to cope as best we can, whether suffering in silence, participating in protests, or engaging in conversations that evoke all of our emotions. And once again, we try to explain to our children that which cannot be explained. Once again, we pray for justice and we pray for peace. Once again. Uh, beautiful mur- mural. Yeah, <laughs> uh, definitely some liberties taken there. But uh, well, you know where you, that you know to, to analyze it says this, in the caption where that mural is. Yeah, I can breathe now, which is I think um, it's very poetic. Yeah, no, it's it's poignant. It's it's also you know that's just it. When I saw that mural and when I saw because I I had seen the mural the, they used the mural in the news constantly because that's where he was killed. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but when you see the where it says I can breathe now at the bottom, like that, that's the part that at least for me that you know, and I know somebody hearing this could say, oh, that sounds sappy, but there's genuinely something about that I can breathe now that's haunting and it's it's kind of heartbreaking. Um, the Houston mural where uh, it depicts a halo um, and wings for George Floyd, where it says mm-hmm. forever breathing on our hearts. Um, you know, I thought that was a, a very nice touch. But, you know, when you scroll down to Dallas, where mm-hmm. I, I believe it's an airplane or it might just be a flag. Yeah, um, but an airplane with banners. Airplane with banners saying my neck hurts. Yeah. If that isn't poignant, you know, that is then nothing is um, and it, you know this this is a and that's just it the opening paragraph kind of said what i'm about to say which is you know this is a this is something that has a long history in the united states of the outpouring of inspired artwork after any kind of moment of tragedy mm-hmm. um you know obviously the the AIDS quilt it's it's the thing that stands out the most because that was supposed to be a message not only to the world but especially to uh, our leaders at the time in Washington D.C. who basically did not do enough to save so many lives of people who died from AIDS in the 80s and into the 90s and you know I, I'm currently reading. Uh, set the night on fire la in the 60s by mike davis and john wiener and uh you know there's a whole paragraph or whole paragraph whole chapter about the uh the artistic and cultural renaissance after the watts rebellion Mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways that's you know it's hard to say that that's it's it's hard to say because it's too soon um but in a weird way like that's kind of the the real kind of forerunner to what we're seeing now, especially with a lot of the artwork acknowledging uh, George Floyd's murder. I mean, I, I saw yeah. there was one artwork in here from Chicago. Uh, I know that our, our good friend Shawnee Badger actually changed her profile photo. I believe it was on fate on uh on Twitter, she changed it to where it's the uh, it's George Floyd. He has his eyes closed and he's got flowers and leaves yeah. on his head. And it yeah. says justice for George. Um, you know, it, it's because that's just it. We're if you think about it, and in a lot of ways, this kind of ties in with our our other topic. Where, and obviously, we, this is a subject we've kind of talked about before. We're in this kind of artistic fugue state where, you know. It's kind of like it's hard because there's people that think, oh, well, you know, how do we create entertainment or how do we create music? And so what people do is, is that they basically brag either about their bedroom mm-hmm. because that's where they're having their bloody Zoom call uh, with some network. Yeah. Or uh, I, I can't remember the artist's name, and it's it's killing me that I don't recall. Uh, but there was some musical artist who basically bragged about making a whole album while in quarantine. And mm-hmm. you know it it's sad, and it's also it, you know before we ever even made this show, like this was something I would talk with you about that the arts, you know, the arts as what as what we all 
basically get commercially, it's stagnant and at times it's not creative and at times it's not engaging or stimulating. Whereas you see all this artwork commemorating George Floyd and this is the kind of stuff that it really shows how bright and powerful people in our country really are and people that, you know, that's just it. There's a lot of this artwork that, yeah, they're credited, but it's not like as though art museums or, you know, some kind of revolving art gallery is going to call out these people and say, you know, hey, kid, I like the cut of your jib. You want to work for us? Like, <laughs> it's not going to happen. So it's it's beautiful, but, you know, it just breaks my heart because it, it, it just it bothers me that it had to be an incident like this for us to really tap into our artistic potential. I don't mean to throw a wrench in kind of our discussion right now. Um, if if anyone kind of knows me as the personality on Mars on Life, it's it's the very uh, <laughs> satirical, um, I would say other side opinionated well not other side because i don't identify as being right wing in particular um but i wanted to ask you as like a personal question because i've i've seen i've seen the documents i've seen the past arrest records and just sort of the allegations that people are pinning on george floyd as being not the best individual when he was alive i wanted to ask what your opinion was on that well Um, i I, I've I've heard none of it. Yeah. So when it, so when it comes down to it, and I'm saying this as someone who doesn't even know it to be truthful, I'm just saying because it's out there online, and whether people want to take a look at it, and this is in no way taking, um, taking the importance uh, away of these protests, but when you look up, you know, George Floyd. You get in you get an insider's look about who he was as a person. Now, I'm not sure if this is just another here I go putting on my tinfoil hat here, but I'm not sure if this is another one of um, 4chan's doings <laughs> like, they did with the, like they did with the black squares. Um, that that is a fact. Unfortunately, it did. It did. Uh, I, I had heard that was from uh, like a white music label. No, no, they uh, they organized it. They also organized uh, Cut for Black Lives Matter, just a bunch of heinous things. That uh, I didn't hear about. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. Well, it is 4chan. I mean, yeah. but, you'll, but never anyway, find, you'll, you'll never find a more wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> but I'll go into a quote-unquote George Floyd's criminal past. Again, not even sure if any of this is true. I'm sure this is just here to spin a yarn. Um you know, George Floyd moved to Minneapolis in 2014 after being released from prison in Houston, Texas, following an arrest for aggravated robbery, arrested for passing a counterfeit $20 bill under the influence of fentanyl, methamphetamine, decade-old criminal criminal history, ringleader of a violent home invasion. It just goes on and on and on. Um, so, I, could link, I could link you the website, um, I guess live, just to kind mm-hmm. of get your opinion on it, because I feel like this is what a lot of people – especially right-wingers, very, very far right-wingers, yeah. try to do is, you know, they they try to spin this narrative as if it was, you know, well, the death really wasn't that big in the first place, completely missing the point entirely. Right. And, you know, it just kind of makes me wonder, 
why people really feel the need. And, you know, again, this this show is not to just discuss one side of the issue. It's also to, to discuss, you know, what's wrong with people, <laughs> at least like what causes them to tick in terms of why they think certain behaviors are OK. So, well, I, you know, I just kind of wanted to get your opinion on it. Well, that's just it. Looking at the website and especially looking at this one pathetic tweet where they're clearly sharing some of the same. Uh, yeah. Ex- yeah. Conspiracy theories that Donald Trump has been saying about Antifa. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just it is that because I remember and, that, and that's this is the really sad part, too, is that I remember everything that that went down with Trayvon Martin as though it were yesterday. Uh, the trial, the testimony, you name it. And because at that time, I was still I was still trying to understand the political sphere. I was still trying to understand what you know, I was at a young enough age where I was kind of transitioning from history into politics. And understanding where that where those lines blur. And I remember at that time, there was so much confusion, at least to me, at least at, in, at one point simply because of how the media kept spinning what happened to Trayvon Martin. And, right. you know, and, I, I... And cracking jokes at the thing. I don't know if you saw the horrendous jokes that they made about it at his expense. I but... I, I might have. I don't know. It was yeah. eight years ago. But, it, you know, every time something like this happens, you're going to have a bunch of right-wing lunatics decide, you know, oh, well, actually, if you really look him up, you'll find out he was actually a real criminal. And it's kind of just... It's it's opportune and it's inappropriate. Yeah, because you do know, you want to look at this past as defining the entire narrative of who he was when he was alive versus who he is now as a dead man? Um, or do you want to save political face by assuming this role, you know, or, or well, assuming this uh, this perspective of, well, you know. Now crime has gone down because look at how he really was kind of thing. And it's like. Yeah, it is very inappropriate and incredibly, like you said, opportune, just in such a heinous way. Well, because on top of that, you know, you mentioned uh, the article had mentioned something about uh, what was in his system when he died, when he was killed. There's been two autopsies. And both of those autopsies do differ around some of those circumstances regarding what was in his system basically the independent one said he had nothing in his system when he died and the one the official autopsy basically said he had x y and z including fentanyl in his system now mm-hmm. between the two that you know it's 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 kind of hard for me to side yeah. with one versus the other i mean granted because it's like there how i go are again you, saying granted again well <laughs> um, but how are you going to politically spin something that's you know medical or, oh, or, 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 or more importantly, why would you even, you know, because if something was found in his system, uh, this one other comment says that he actually tested positive for COVID. What benefit well, I, that I have heard absolutely nothing about? Yeah, no. I, yeah, it's I'm actually just finding that out now. Again, could be another uh, Alex Jonesian attempt. Well, I'll, I'll put it this way, like everything that I've heard about him from you know and and obviously you know it's from friends it's from family is that you know he the guy 
was a sweetheart. He was a mentor. Yeah. You know, I know that he he was buddies, and I'm I'm kicking myself for forgetting this this guy's name, but I know there was a basketball player, like a like a professional basketball player that he was buds with, um, who came out and talked about what happened to George. Um, but I think that's that's what's kind of interesting too is that you don't have any of the politicizing coming from Trump, which to me is the biggest surprise simply because this was the same man who wanted the state of New York to execute the Central Park Five for a crime none of them committed, and yet all four all all all, uh, all five of them were in jail. One of them, who by the way, none of them were adults. One of them was put basically in an adult prison while the rest were in juvenile hall until they reached adulthood and all of them pretty much had their lives ruined and here's this big orange you know fool of a human being donald trump basically say oh the state he pulled out a whole he took a whole one page ad in the new york times with his big sharpie signature at the bottom and basically advocated for the state of New York to use capital punishment and execute all of them just simply because they were there. And they, you know, in his mind, he thought they deserved it. And it's just, I'm surprised he hasn't done that in this regard because he easily could. He, you know, this is what he thinks. This is what he believes. And the fact that he hasn't, it's surprising, but it shouldn't surprise anybody because, you know, Again, he's he's also an opportunist. So it's it's unfortunate and you know, I, I don't I think I'm I'm happy I feel safe to say that there are a lot of people that are you know, eulogizing George Floyd as a terrific human being and you know, I mean I never knew the guy, I never met him, but it, you know, what happened to him, you know, it fills me with rage to see that video it breaks my heart to see that video and the fact that something so primal the murder of a human being could lead to something as beautiful as all these protests saying we are tired of the systemic racism we are tired with bigotry all across the board from our government our law enforcement journalism oh huh. so this is something um th that's also been brought up very often is racism within the newsroom this is something that i know i brought it up last week with sean and without naming names you know i i know somebody who was fired for being black covering a black lives matter event and i resigned from that newsroom in protest because that's a total betrayal of the ethics of journalism you know it, it it's not a conflict of interest it can't be and on top of that, you can't totally turn a blind eye to what's going on in front of you. You need every person you can get. And if you have a skilled reporter, their identity should never, ever matter. Because if they're a damn good reporter, you send them out and you have them go cover it. And the fact that this happened to somebody that I know, you know, that's another thing that bothers me to no end. Because as uh, Hyman Roth says in The Godfather Part 2... This is the business we've chosen. And and if I sounded a little bit like John Lovitz, that's because he says that a lot in uh, City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. <laughs> but um, great movie. 
Uh, great comedy. Great sequel, too. But um, it's encouraging to see a lot of people come out with their stories and what happened to them. And then on top of that, to have all of this artwork, my real question, though, is, is this going to follow the footsteps of, say, the AIDS quilt or, you know, other totems and, you know, pedestals to past grievances that, you know, we claim we're beyond this. We claim we're better than this. And then it happens again. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we have the Watts Rebellion. We have the Watts Renaissance. We have the blowouts in the 60s. But then, you know, uh, try and do the math in my head. Less than three decades later, you have Rodney King. And, and that's kind of the weird irony of the time period we live in. We're about 30 years. All, in two years' time, that will have been about 30 years since the L.A. riots. Yeah. So I'll, I'll put it to you this way. This is this is I, I won't go so far as to say this has become cyclical, but it could. Part of me, part of me wants I well, not part of me, but I, I would think part of me speaking in regards to like the greater society would rather mm-hmm. have this ignorant, nihilistic approach of, you know, it's still going to happen. Right. You know, and I'll admit, when I used to think that way about uh, Trayvon Martin and especially now George Floyd and, uh, you know, everyone in between, by the way, buy my book, read their names, free on Amazon. There you go. Uh, shameless plug. <laughs> um, well, and it's, it's I, material I go, for people marching, too. Right. And I would go through the list. Well, I was going through the list when I was editing it and publishing it, and I was just like, this has happened over and over and over. Are people going to understand? And I'll admit, a part of me felt like people think it's just a lot easier by just saying, yeah, it's not it, and this will continue. And Mm -hmm. it's sickening to think, and it's sickening to think that we've been doing this for the past hundred-some-odd years, but... You know, I don't know. Something keeps well, coming. Hold Something... on, doing doing what the last hundred some odd years? Uh, hating people for being a different skin tone. Among oh, others. dude, that's been going. Yeah, that's that's, that's been, been going, going on since, since the start of Greece. time. Yeah, that's been going on <laughs> since the start of time. So, you know. <sighs> and in regards to North America, we just hit the four hundred. Or actually, if we if we're talking the Western Hemisphere, we just hit the four hundred year mark last year. Yeah. So it's like when people ask, where do we go from here? When someone says, I don't know, I don't know whether or not they're just pleading ignorance or they are just genuinely concerned that they don't have an answer on how to fight uh, systemic racial oppression because it's been going on for something for however, however long. And there doesn't seem to be any answer in sight. Black people still are killed by white people and you know i hate to sound so blunt when i use these terms here but what is there to do i think a lot of people have some great ideas this artwork is one of them but you know is it really is it is it stopping everything well i think i guess if if there needs to be like a short answer question to you know 
Because I think that's that's something that you and I we're always on the lookout for artwork that's going to stand the test of time. Yeah. And it's gonna it's gonna really now, and uh, and it's gonna uh, reflect society. Obviously, that's mm-hmm. kind of the point of the show. Um. Now, obviously, this artwork does that, but ultimately, does it to your it goes to your point of is this gonna do anything that's gonna lead to systemic change? Ultimately. And this is just what I've been seeing, not just from, you know, the local news or, uh, you know, Trump complaining or even just going on social media. But it starts from the ground up. And that's why, you know, for example, the Minneapolis Police Department disbanded. Great. Start from scratch. You don't you don't want to be back in the same position you were in. And I think the. uh the audacity of cities like New York and Los Angeles both responding to claims of either, you know, take money out of the, the LAPD budget or defund the police, which has become like the new kind of buzzword catchphrase of the last few weeks. Um, you know, you can make a lot of progress by doing that. The problem, though, is you got to fight off not just politicians, but the police unions. Uh, you know, John Oliver had a whole bit about police unions and how powerful they are, which, you know, is kind of sad because I'm pro-union. But at the same time, police unions, unlike regular unions, are just so damn powerful and they hold so much clout and credibility that it's scary because, you know, these are the kind of people that will literally tell you, you, the taxpayer, you, the person they're trying to protect, if you take money away from me, I won't protect you. Or yeah. if you, you know, like like they get vindictive and they start channeling Daryl Gates back in the early 90s where they're basically threatening the L.A. City Council. And it's pathetic because it's it's just pettiness up the wazoo. And you're just thinking to yourself, now, wait a minute. You've been presented with the facts of being part of a police, a policing system within the United States that has its founding in catching either escaped slaves or freed slaves. If I had that history in my genealogy, I would acknowledge it, but I would be as far away from it as I possibly can. And and as I say that, uh, several minutes ago, I got a notification from Associated Press saying protesters in Virginia topple statue of Confederate President Jefferson Davis along Richmond's famed Monument Avenue. And that kind of goes to my point. Like, you need to move way beyond your racist past. Otherwise, you're condemned to continue repeating it. And I think any kind of and, stopping... And, some, and for some, you know, I, again, I can't speak for those over, I want to say, 60 who kind of hold this ideology. Again, I'm casting a wide net here. I know it varies in age ranges of these, you know, hateful ideologies, but mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very, very tall order for some people. And I, I don't see how that could be. I don't see how it's so hard to just accept someone as your equal, you know, um, you know, I don't, is it the sign? Of, is it a sign of the times that is just changing in the 21st century? Yeah, definitely. But the fact that people just can't let go of their ideologies, their past ideologies, because they want to, th- their livelihood is 
them being right that yeah one race is inordinately better than another race and i don't understand yeah. how that could be well, as just a snap judgment you know well, there's another there's another aspect to it that i've encountered which is and, and it's 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 interesting because these are the it, it's the people that you know people that you know people like myself that call ourselves anti-racists we reach out to people of you know of older generations thinking look you lived through the 60s you saw all this stuff you were there listening to the beatles rubber soul watching martin luther king you were there watching jfk talk about we need to put we need to put a man on the moon and go to cuba like you you bask in that time period and now you're fine you're basically in the sequel of that and 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 this is where there's a twist and it's not the conservative racist twist that has always been there you know since the beginning of time it's this kind of limpy reactionaryism and what i mean by that is you know, it, it's people that got the most blunt education on what equality means. And these are the people that even though they're not Republican, they're not conservative, they're not neo-Nazis, they'll still look at you square in the eye and say, no, all lives matter. And you're just shaking your head because yeah. – you 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 realize you're dealing with somebody who their only concept of racism literally is only from the 1960s yeah. and it's like the last 60 years haven't happened and really as much as you take that statement all lives matter in a general sense where yes given you know we're talking about black lives though you know th this is right. the this is the group that needs our help Okay, so yes, all lives do matter, but you know, right now that's not the focus. We, we could talk about this for hours and hours. And, oh, of course, yeah. You know, speaking as two white men, I'm sure that doesn't really help our argument enough. But well, I think us you know, standing in solidarity with we're all allies. that's going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I I went to the protests because this stuff pisses me off. You know, I I've been. You know, even when I was in, uh, what was it in? Oh goodness, I think I was in high school. Like I was literally one of the few people who had a problem with racism, and mm -hmm. it seemed like everyone around me didn't. And it just baffled me because I'm like, wait a minute, people, yeah. there's serious issues going on in the world, and you're more preoccupied with, you know. God knows what, Stephen Sondheim, Pokemon, whatever. Like, you're more focused on stuff, whereas these are issues right now that we could be tackling. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and granted, I also, there I go saying granted again, uh, you know, I unfortunately grew up in a more conservative area, which explains, you know, explains a lot about how much yelling and arguing I've had to do over the course of my life. But... On top of that, being an anti-racist, you know, I, I've got this crazy old neighbor who's like, oh, I, I can see you're sensitive about that, about racism. And I'm ready to yell at him. Actually, I think I did yell at him. Uh, I think I, I yelled at him. It's not just me. This is something we should all be angry at. 
you know, if you consider yourself an anti-racist, it's not like you hear someone say something offensive and you just kind of look over across and watch it happen and you kind of do your Carl Pilkington and kind of look and go, uh, all right. Like, you don't do that. You, you're, you're going to basically tell the person to piss off. You know, you're, you're, you're mad at them. They're dehumanizing a fellow human being. And the one thing that that racist needs is a history lesson. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and, and, you know, before we get on to the next topic, it's, it's that's just it it's like i want you know had coronavirus not been a thing spoilers for our next topic coronavirus um you know had coronavirus not been a thing i would have probably well we all probably would have seen these protests go on into november i think and i i, I, I definitely wish think so you know i, I definitely think so and i and i know that we've had you know certain conversations where I think just kind of seeing the realism in it where we had where we had the opinion of that, you know, despite and this was a few months ago, but I remember us saying verbatim, you know, despite everything that's happening, I will not be surprised if Trump gets reelected. However, I don't think I don't think most Republicans agree with how he handled not just coronavirus and the um, public outcry of it. Mm-hmm. But the protests as well. Personally, I don't think he has a shot at reelection. And, well, and, well, and, and I know, ask, and I know, and I know, any Democrat you ask is going to, you know, affirm that. But uh, I wouldn't be too sure. You know, again, uh, Biden is up 10, 10 points in Colorado, and that's huge, especially in yeah. Colorado Springs, which is a pretty big slap in the face politically. Um, but it just well, came yeah, as, it's, it just came as a surprise it, to me when uh, when Heather told me. It's it's the pro weed state in favor of the anti weed candidate. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> I mean, yeah. but well, let me let me ask you this because you you said uh, you mentioned Republicans' reaction to Trump. Now, when you say Republicans, are you talking about Republican lawmakers or Republican, just Republicans? Republicans in Congress. Okay, like, okay. I, I do think that they are going to be uh, crossing the aisle. Or jumping the aisle, or however the fuck you said it. I, you know, I was I was a poli sci major, if you couldn't tell, but I dropped that long ago. Crossing the aisle this election, simply out of uh, a lack of etiquette, you could say. Like like switching parties. Not switching parties, but more so just you know, kind of weighing in their options carefully. Do I really want to support someone who didn't handle coronavirus, uh, you know, in relation to business? But also in relation to, you know, their constituents, Republican voters. Right. So, you know, if we can't appease the voters, if we can't appease the, the small business owners, mm-hmm. then we don't have a platform to stand on. Right. Because it, it just kind of seems to me like because you're right. I, I did say uh, following Bernie doing the right thing and dropping out. I did say, yeah, Trump's got four years. Uh, yeah. Four more years, but that I I I will amend that statement now and say it's up in the air. It's anybody's game, and you know, and I only say that because this is the thing that I think a lot of, especially a lot of people in 
on the East Coast and a lot of the old media heads that they still look at Trump like he's any other president where he says something outrageous. Everybody gets mad and says, it's unpresidential. And then a week later, he does the same thing and they act in the exact same way. Like as if it's never happened before. And I I genuinely feel like there's enough people out there that aren't reactionary like that. And they just don't care. They just want to see the guy. You know, it's it's the power dynamic that, you know, politicians want to just stay in power for the power. And in this case, you know, he doesn't like the job. He does. He can't have his rallies, although allegedly he's going to start up his rallies again this month because everybody's reopening. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it just seems like. It just seems so up in the air. And I, I guess since I mentioned that, we might as well get to the second beautiful part of our discussion, speaking of reopening. Right. So there's a very big dichotomy of where I am versus where you are. As I stated before, Colorado um, basically was just just slammed on the gas pedal no fucks given and is opening everything back up which is great that they're over the second hurdle or the second um i don't know what do the news call it second wave well um, you know COVID. Well, that's and and granted yeah. granted yes uh colorado in comparison to in comparison to california is immensely smaller Okay, and you go to somewhere like Colorado Springs, yeah. which is the fucking Santa Clarita Tatooine Desert of oh my God. Colorado. <laughs> you know, a population here that doesn't even surpass a thousand, I'm guessing, you know, give or take. It's you barely see any people here. But no, you drive down to Sonic to Target to fucking any dispensary. Well, there's no dispensaries in Colorado Springs. You have to go to Manitou for that, as I said. They're essential businesses. But no, yeah, they're essential businesses. Great. But, um, yeah, nobody's wearing masks. Which, again, you mm -hmm. can either take it as great, this thing's finally starting to settle, or, wow, people are just very, very ignorant um, and not being mm. uh, safe for themselves. Now, if it's the former you know, great. And I don't have to worry like I did when I first uh, drove, when I first made the drive out here. Mm -hmm. um, that only makes me wonder what the hell is going to happen when I get back to California when, you know, we aren't over this wave. Okay. And as much as a lot of people would want to say, well, you're entering into territory that has much more rampant protests and people not abiding by social distancing laws and yada yada and the the little itch in the back of your mind says well if they would have just behaved like colorado none of this would have happened <laughs> you know i'm it's gonna be really hard to go back because personally i think it's beautiful here <laughs> <laughs> um wow that was a long diet it's, it's it's 100 degrees where i am by the way it's been 100 degrees today and i'm still sweating like I got air conditioning, I got a fan on. It, you're not missing anything, trust me. Well, <laughs> like the only thing you're gonna miss is everything reopening on Friday, which well, is kind about, of the the meat of our story. Yeah. Um. Well, I was gonna say you want to talk about missing something. Uh, miss me with that hike I took the other day, where it 
was sunny, rain for 15 minutes, wind, thunder, and hail in that order. And keep in mind, we're up. And keep in mind, we're up in the mountains taking this hike. Okay, so if a stray bolt of lightning hits a tree, we're screwed. Um, but yeah, no, beautiful state. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway. There, there was a fire right by where I live uh, at the start of the week. It was wonderful. I woke up yeah. to a smoky bedroom. Yeah, but uh, in other news, gyms, museums, hotels, day, ca- day camps, arena sports can reopen in L.A. County on Friday by the Los Angeles Times. Thank God. Maybe I can go back to my job as a camp counselor because Los Angeles County on Wednesday announced that gyms and, faci- and fitness facilities, pro league arenas without audiences – which doesn't make any lick of sense because if you're watching anything pro league, you want to watch it as an audience member. Okay. <laughs> right. Day camps, museums, galleries, zoos, aquariums, campgrounds, RV parks, and outdoor recreational areas, including swimming pools, music, film, and television production, and hotels for leisure travel will be allowed to reopen Friday. That means more shitty Star Wars movies. Yay. <laughs> Wait. What? <laughs> I know. Oh. I, just, I just said uh. that to you. I just said that to get your goat. Um, Yeah, so now all the fitness gurus can uh, go back to making their Instagram inspirational videos, which, my God, if there was ever a thing to to be without living for, that's it. They found Uh, a way. Yeah, they found a way. Um, Quote, quote, Dr. Ian Malcolm, they found the way. this this all bothers me. <laughs> I mean, great that you know we're finally I guess starting to get over the hump, and these these uh, I guess non-essential businesses are deciding that they're going to be opening their doors. Uh, what does that mean for active cases? I'm predicting another increase. Yes. That that is why I am I am very yeah. subtly doing the Jaws theme. Uh, and hopefully we will not be flagged by that. But uh, it's, you know, like, and on top of that, and I don't uh, recall if it was mentioned in the story. I think it was later in the day, and it was a separate article that mentioned it. But also, uh, Disneyland and Disneyland Resorts are planning to reopen July 17th, which, of course, I immediately had to tell everybody uh, within my circle that's a shame because that's uh, that's 13 days too late to open. Yeah. You want, you know, you want, you want, you, you know, you want, you want Disneyland open on the 4th of July. Come on. No, like, you don't. And you don't want to go to Disneyland on the 4th of July. You know, everyone knows that it's, it's this magical, you know, um, this magical fucking place on the 4th of July or any any holiday for that matter. Um, the thing is, once you see the crowds, you never end up going to Disneyland on a holiday. <laughs> you, you get on the fi- you get on the 405. Uh, is it the 405 to Anaheim? Man, it's been so long now, since I've been. Okay, to I'm drawing a blank. I how to get there. <laughs> you, get, you get on the freeway to Disneyland, and you see traffic backed up, um, up until oh God, because you gotta go through Glendale. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you see the traffic backed up to Glendale, and you're like, fuck this. Take yeah. DeSoto Avenue off. Oh, I, um, I remember going to Disneyland, and we were stuck next to the Gene Autry Museum uh, of the American West. 
which is a beautiful place and it's it's cool to look at especially if you're stuck in traffic but yeah. the whole point is to get to disneyland not mm-hmm. to hang out at the gene autry museum so yeah. which granted as of right now i'd prefer the autry museum um to over disneyland but it's just you know because you, you mentioned as well the uh the second not the second wave but the uh i guess you'd call it the second curve yeah you know, know. that's what they're calling it because historically during epidemics or pandemics uh case in point the 1918 influenza uh pandemic you know I'll put it in modern terms for a second. Remember when everything started and the first thing health officials said was, we need to flatten the curve. And they basically showed us exactly what we were in for with a pandemic. And they just showed this kind of upside down U shape and how we want this upside down U shape to start plateauing and keep plateauing after it's dropped significantly. Mm -hmm. Now, that's great. But I have still not seen anything that's going to give me any confidence into thinking that, A, we flatten the curve, and B, and this is where I get into my uh, Spanish flu thing, the Spanish flu, it wasn't like an upside-down U. It was more like an upside-down W, which means there was one hump, and then there was a drop in cases and a drop in deaths. And then it rose significantly again, and then it dropped, and then it rose significantly again, and it, it basically kept doing this over, a lo- uh, you know, several months. Mm-hmm. And and obviously, you know, back then, germ theory was very problematic for a lot of people. World War One was raging in Europe. That was a part of the reason why the Spanish flu was so deadly, was because of a bloody world war going on at the time but you know it it goes back to what i was saying about sort of the the ignorant the ignorant isolationist if you will the person who you know they never took coronavirus seriously enough they went out not wearing a mask they didn't social distance with people and then they see the people protesting and they think oh i guess i can go back out again everything's back to normal Mm mm-hmm there's a part of me that also feels like there's a lot of politicians out there that I think feel the same way where they basically see all these people protesting and rather than take it on face value as these are people protesting because they're tired of seeing unarmed black men and women being lynched in the streets of the United States of America, instead of looking at it on that face value – they're looking at it as, well, we weren't going to be able to hold all these people into their homes to flatten the curve, so we might as well just reopen everything and see how we do. Because we got to get this economy going again. Plus, there's an election coming up, you see. Yeah. And it's just it, – it's the cold-heartedness of it where – and again, this, this – you know, and I, I know I sound like a broken record about it, but I, I know I've hit a point where I'm hearing people use this term at the end of their sentences about – we got to have the beaches open on the 4th of July. You know, it goes back to the Jaws thing because this is exactly what th- – this is basically the long-form version of Larry Vaughn from Jaws. 
you know, where they're ignoring the problems, they're ignoring all of these, all this extra minutia, and they're more worried about their bloody pocketbooks. But they're looking at their stocks, they're looking at, you know, their polling numbers, and they're basically treating it as a power tool and not a power tool like a drill, but like, uh, you know, how am I going to, how am I, how am I going to one up myself? How am I going to get a couple extra approval rating percentage points? Oh, I'll just reopen everything. But, and I'm, I'm still maintaining this. And I, I think you, you kind of hit on it in regards to Colorado. I, I, I think we're going to wind up right back at where we were at in March. I seriously I do, do. No, I, mean, I, I do too. Not not to be uh, Johnny Raincloud over here, but... Well, I mean, you know, dude, we've been Johnny Raincloud since January, or since <laughs> March, okay? Remember when American Dirt was our biggest problem? <laughs> God, how we've grown. Or should I say how I, we've regressed? I, I mentioned that with uh, with uh, our, our good buddies, Kenny and Pete, uh, and you should... Ch- By the way, everybody should check them out, uh... They're still working out of the good news radio station, touchdowns and tangents. But I, anyway, I made a quick appearance on touchdowns and tangents last week. Uh, they, they kind of did a similar format like what we did, uh, except they had people call in. It was just Kenny and then uh, Pete called in towards the end of the show. But anyway, I, I had reached out to him at one point and I mentioned uh, Oprah was going to have a town hall with other African-American, uh, you know, celebrities, authors, yeah, no, directors. She actually, she actually did. It was a two-hour special on, oh, God, a ridiculous amount of channels. I actually caught the beginning of en- an end portion of it uh, over here okay. in Colorado. But, it, you know, it, it, it was. it's kind of like that was our I, – I made the point of are we going to watch her or are we going to – help support the one person who uh, criticized her for basically supporting a very offensive and arguably racist book like American Dirt. And then that was basically my way of introducing Miriam Gerba to, uh, you know, to Kenny and Pete and basically saying, yeah, yeah, she's a badass. And she called Oprah out and, and, you know, like mentioning that, I just remember thinking exactly what I told you just now, which is, uh, Man, American Dirt. That feels like a decade ago. Yeah. Like, it's but you know, because on top of things opening up, you know, uh, film production can resume. Obviously, there's movie studios that are that can't wait to get everything back rolling again. Um, you know, movie theaters would have to reopen and have probably limited seating, which. You know, it's tough because that's just it. This is going to be the weirdest summer season ever. It's encouraging, and it's it's good to hear people talk about, you know, movies and stuff, but there's a lot of critics out there and film reviewers, and a lot of them are also YouTubers that are like, mm, no, um, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to go to the theater. You know, I'm... I, there's nothing that's going to get me to go out and see, you know, the next Marvel film or the next espionage thriller because, you know, coronavirus is still a huge deal. And 
you know, to say to say that, you know, we're in phase three, we're, you know, everything. And of course, you have Trump who, you know, thinks everything changes with the flick of a switch. You know, he thinks he's going to fix the economy lickety split before the end of summer. But I, I genuinely believe that the reopenings and to some extent the protests are going to put us in a pretty hairy predicament in the yeah. coming weeks. Um, which is a shame, obviously, because, you know, we're, <laughs> you know, th- this isn't how we imagined our show being, but we we adjusted, we adapted, and we'll, we're going to survive. I'm not going to break into the Bill Pullman Independence Day speech because I don't know it. Um, but <laughs> it, it's just frustrating because this this was kind of like we knew this was in the cards we ignored it and we're going to suffer the consequences for it in the name of protesting you know what there's things that americans need to be angry about and a lot of us have pent up anger and frustration and we have to let it out into something positive and that's what these protests have been on the flip side if it's people that are just that damn desperate for a flipping haircut, I, I got what what is the issue with that? OK, so I got my haircut yesterday and, you know, it, my girlfriend, bless her heart, she did a pretty good job at it. You know, I think the fear in most Americans is that, oh, it just won't look good. And to the boomers out there, I say, what fucking hair? But to the protesters under 30, to the protesters under 30, or or should I say the anti-protesters who, you know, are not petitioning for anything globally worthwhile other than what's on their head, what is the shame in just dealing with it, in just doing it yourself or having somebody else do it? Who's going to see you? Or just grow it out. Like... Grow it out. There's hairstyles that could be implemented for males. You know, hard to believe it's going to be long hair. But I think I've seen more overgrown beards and bald heads, which look pretty (laughs) decent, than, you know, no beards and just long hair. Like the Jesus cut, basically. Right. So, but then again, that's a matter of choice. And, you know, if, if you want your hair to look good or look as good as your previous barber cut it before the pandemic was a thing well, tough shit you know it's gonna grow back anyway yeah well it, that's just it you're you know for some of these people it, you're, you're kind of thinking to yourself why do you need to be so on fleek when it's just you in your bedroom you know who yeah. who are you gonna woo and who are you who, who are you gonna you know become sexually attracted to when it's just you living at home, the clubs are closed, my friend. The beat, well, the beaches, huh, the beaches, the beaches are open. But you know, it, the idea was the beaches would reopen for people that wanted to work out. Now, literally every single time one of the local news channels uh, covers people going to the beach, nobody's working out. They're they're always showing people sunbathing, and they're thus they're violating those rules. However, the police were, were have been spread thin, 
And as we've seen with the protests and which, you know, frankly, I, I consider that a good thing because it means uh, one magic phrase to quote the late great John Lennon, power to the people. But this angst over hair, for goodness sake, people, no one was complaining about long hair back in the 18th century. In fact, that was the style. And on top of that, no one in the 1960s and 70s or even the 80s were complaining about how much hair they had because it was in style. Now, this is kind of a, a self-imposed style, but live with it. I mean, for goodness sake, what was it? 2006 to, oh, what was it? 2008, 2009? Everybody had long hair. I had longer hair back then. And it was the it was the trend. I mean, for crying out loud, Hayden Christensen, Rupert Grint, Daniel Radcliffe, they all had long hair for like no obvious reason other than it was in. And granted, Anakin was supposed to have longer hair because they wanted to show off the fact that he was a Jedi Knight in Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, but I digress. Like <laughs> it was it was all about the style of that time period. And obviously that applies with the 60s and 70s. But, you know, the idea that it's problematic now, I mean, we're all living through a period that's unprecedented to quote literally everyone since March 13th. And this idea that, you know, we, we have to maintain how we appear like we're – uh, Christian Bale's character from American Psycho, I mean, yes, you know, keep yourself fit, keep yourself healthy, keep yourself active, but, you know, it's your health that matters. You know, unless you have a condition where you literally cannot grow your hair and it must be shaven or it must be cut off, fine, I, okay. But the idea that it's something to be so angsty about to go out and get a haircut. I mean, it, it it's it's people that just don't understand the situation, I think. And it's it's sad because Oh yeah, because they want to think that the world revolves around them and their asinine yeah. needs where you know, making mountains out of molehills such as this is ridiculous. You know, yeah. I, you know, when my hair got too long, I bit the bullet and I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, can you cut my hair, please? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Surprisingly, it didn't turn out that bad. And it didn't turn out that bad the second time because, you know, hair grows back. Yeah. And, you know, you just kind of keep going through that and you kind of start to get over the fact that it's just hair, you know? I'm surprised that we're even going on a tangent for this long about this, but, you know, I think it really is a testament to how small-minded and overtly sociopathic some people are, where mm. they think that this is going to define my personality. I get it. Yeah. A lot of Americans cooped up inside have nothing to do, okay? Mm -hmm. Every single minuscule thing is cataclysmic to them, okay? Good or, For good or for worse, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, having something as a haircut or, you know, 
a new Netflix show or a disagreement online or, you know, any kind of opinion that doesn't go with the norm, but they want to speak it anyway because they think that it establishes their superiority to fucking ones and zeros on the Internet, no less. You know, Mm -hmm. it it just kind of goes to show that, you know, we can go into this next episode, but what has quarantine (laughs) done for people or done to people? Right. It's, you know, well, it's it's also it's placing vanity over public health, which, you know, I, I guess if there was ever anything for me to to really like turn into a focal point for how much I, I get frustrated at the times we live in, it's the fact that that even exists. People's vanity over public health. I mean, it in, in a warped way, it's it's almost reminiscent of you know, stories you hear of the 1980s and, you know, hell, I haven't even gotten to uh, Andy Schultz book about the AIDS crisis. Uh, I was going to read that this month, but, um, you know, the times changed and, and I ended up going with the, the radical history of Los Angeles in the 60s. But it, it just this idea of people and their their attention span and their tenacity to think, well, I can't have anything change my regimen. And you're thinking, well, how about the rest of us who either can't risk our lives or we can't risk to get a haircut or we can't risk to go to a restaurant and eat in the restaurant, which by the way, you're, you're now allowed to do in some places in Los Angeles County. But also, you're you're just so flummoxed at somebody basically stopping in your path. Well, what about those of us that lost jobs? I mean, there, you know, I I had a job, I was gonna go back to it, and now I can't because of a quarantine and because of coronavirus. I can't find a substitute for that. All I can do is keep myself healthy and keep myself safe. But I know that means I can't see you. I can't see my, you know, any of my other close friends. I can't see, you know, former coworkers of mine. I can't do anything. I mean, I can drive. And yes, I did go to the protests. But even when I was at the protests, I was the one dude social distancing. I was the one person who stayed like 20 feet away. That's a lie. 10 feet away from people because... I'm still not clueless to the fact that there's a bloody plague going on. And, you know, my status quo has changed and I'm okay with that because if it means keeping myself healthy and keeping myself safe, as well as the people I love, keeping them healthy and safe, I'll do it. Hell, I I made the crack to my folks that uh, growing my hair out, it's like watching a slow regeneration from Doctor Who. Like I feel like I'm, I'm turning, I'm changing from one Ryan into a different Ryan. It's it's insane. I guess it's just the materialism of it all, where it's people that they just hated the fact that they can't go shopping or they can't do, they can't color their hair because they don't want people to see the white in their hair, or you know the the people like my grandmother who have literally had the same hairstyle since the ni- early 1970s mm-hmm. and she's actually growing her hair out for the first time and she doesn't like it. Well, vanity, vanity will be the death of this fucking country. 
put it in stone, put it on my epitaph. Like it's, I'll say it to the day I die, you know? And again, we can go on and on about this, but, uh, we've, I I I think think we've, I think it's a, I think it's a good place to, uh, end our exhaustion. Why don't you tell the good people where we can find you? All righty. Well, by order of the Peaky Blinders, you will find me on Instagram at Mancini Ryan. Um, I've been sharing everything that I've seen at the protests, as well as sharing information about future protests. Um, as for Twitter, I'm having just as many problems with Twitter as you've been having, where Thank I'm you. on the verge of deleting <laughs> it. Um, yeah. However, I cannot just because of both news but also uh this show it needs twitter um so you can find me at mancini ra on twitter as to you sebastian where can the good people find you oh okay going down the laundry list here well first and foremost if you want to find me on the desolate wasteland that is twitter uh, you could find me at Dr. Sebi. That's at dr underscore s-e-b-b-y. Same as Instagram at dr s-e-b-b-y as well. Funny thing, I actually went on it today, uh, Twitter, just to see what was up. You know, not that much. Um, once I, you know, trespassed into a comment section outlining the pros and cons of OnlyFans, I pretty much just uh, just alt alt right exited. <laughs> And um, yeah, that was that was fun. Uh, but you could also find me on many other sites as well. First off, YouTube. You find me under the moniker Seabass, like the fish. Yes, I post daily narrations up there. Haven't for a few days now because, again, I'm in Colorado and there's company. So I uh, haven't really been finding any opportune times to record. Uh, but rest assured, after the 13th, that will resume. You can also find me pretty much just audio only at Anchor as well under Shugsy's story time yes uh that is that is the name <laughs> oh god you can also find me at sebastian shug publishing as well feel free to send me a manuscript I've been publishing a lot of books lately such as recently again read their names which is a collective uh literary database of every single victim of police brutality systemic racial oppression etc and essentially that's pretty much it oh yeah um i'll speak this into existence now uh i was talking about this earlier and it just kind of came up oh no it's nothing bad um i hate to sound like every single 17 year old in high school when i say this but i've been kind of getting the music bug to make to make music Mm I haven't really sided on anything yet. Um, I do know that I want to have some sort of elements of lo-fi in there. Um, just something uh, chill, bro. But you know, I've been I've been toying around with it, and I think honestly, I'm thankful that this quarantine has led me to be a lot more experimental. So, yeah, uh, it's been a it's been a fun ride. Uh, we are very very close to. I'm not sure if it's this episode, and you can edit this out if you want, but uh, mm-hmm. audio visualization for our episode. Yes, we'll be we'll be close to that. I'll, I'll make sure to get that information your way so that you can do your magic, and, and we'll have a whole new platform for people. I'm stoked. So. <laughs> yeah, no, it'll be great. And, and I guess 
one other quick shout out. I mentioned it uh, in our first topic, but if you have the chance, uh, definitely pick up Set the Night on Fire by Mike Davis and John Wiener. It's the tapestry of history in this book, and especially local relevant history, is staggering. It's, you know, at times it's a bit of a tearjerker, but at a lot of times it just shows how much of a struggle everything is, and it's absolutely well worth the read. It's a big-ass book, um, and I know that was something that was brought up to them during a live stream when the book was published, but nonetheless, it's still... It's something you could actually get through quickly. I started it on, what was it, June 1st, and I'm more than halfway through now. Obviously, there's a quarantine, so I have plenty of time to read, Um but again, it definitely pick it up um, for any kind of social context and commentary as to what is going on now versus back then. Pick it up. And with that, I think we're we're good to go for this one. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to Mars on Life. Please make sure that you find us over on social media at Mars on Life Show on both Twitter and on Instagram. And on top of that, you can find this show on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Our artwork is done by Zachary Erbrick, and our intro music is Space Explorers by Kevin McLeod. I've been Ryan Mancini. My co-host, as always, is Sebastian Shug. And just remember, if you keep on going, you'll make it to Mars. <laughs>